Open in the Word of God to Matthew's Gospel. We're in chapter 15, and I believe we're starting this time in verse 21. It's a very surprising and almost shocking text. Jesus says some interesting things here and responds in a very interesting way to a Gentile woman that cries out for his help. Please stand for the reading of God's holy authoritative and errant word hear the word of God to you this morning leaving that place Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out Lord son of David have mercy on me my daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession Jesus did not answer a word So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Thus ends the reading of God's authoritative word. May He bless it truly to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Now I have to say, when I was a seminary student, I was always very impressed by those students who really grasped the original Greek and the original Hebrew that the Bible was written in. Because I got to just make a confession. God did not give me that gift of tongues. I I, I struggled so hard. I literally, every single Greek test that I took, I passed by the skin of my teeth. Some of them I failed, and most of them I passed by the skin of my teeth. It got to the point, listen to this, this is so funny, um, I guess there are some remnants of my, uh, my background, my cultural background. I made like almost a deal with God. I remember praying this. I said, Lord, all right, on, on the, the final Greek comp, you needed to get a certain amount of points to pass. And I said, Lord, all I'm asking is that I get exactly the right amount of points, just enough to pass this test, because I'm looking forward to hopefully becoming a pastor someday, and I have to pass this test. And you and I both know, Lord, that I'm never going to be a Greek scholar, but if I'm going to be a pastor, I got to get past this. And I kid you not, no lie, I got the exact score. Like, literally, one point less, I would have failed the whole thing. So, give God the glory. Now, I tell you that story. Because I want you to see I'm not bragging. Because i got to tell you something more positive. So when I was in seminary, we also took an English Bible exam. Now, I'm pretty decent with the English language. And I just was a, all I did was read my Bible. So it didn't, you know, over the years of being a Christian, being hungry for God's Word. Mike remembers those days. We were just like soaking it in like sponges, right? And so I passed... This test, it was only my, my buddy and I, Randy and I, and we both didn't grow up in Christian homes, and we passed it with flying colors. My friends who knew Greek and Hebrew grow up in, in Christian homes, not so good on the English Bible. Okay, they knew their catechisms well, but they didn't know the Bible too well. And so 
There was one area, though, even in the English Bible, that I literally would have aced it if it wasn't for one area. You know what it was? Geography. They actually had quest- yeah, they had questions on this English Bible, like you're thinking it's going to be important stuff about God and then the gospel, and it was about Judea is northeast or southwest of Jerusalem. Or you're like, seriously? Like, how in the world would I... The bigger, the bigger issue, who cares? I don't really care where it... I'm sorry, but it's just the truth, right? So, wow, Pastor Santa, why all that stuff? Well, I'll tell you why. For the first time that I can remember, since ni- when I graduated seminary in 1996, finally geography makes a difference in helping me understand a particular passage in the Bible. Ta-da! And it's right here in this text. And what happens is, is we see that Matthew points out very clearly to us a geographical detail that's actually super important in understanding what's going on in this text. What's going on is it says that Jesus now departs from the one area of Galilee, which was predominantly Jewish, and he's now going... He wants to get away. He needs some quiet time. Remember, from passages back, Jesus has been trying to get away. Did you notice that? And so he's trying to get away, so he finally goes into the edge of a Gentile region. And what we need to see here, why that's so important, why it's been pointed out, because I want, to, want you to see this. He's been rejected by his hometown. Remember when he, it says he could not do many miracles there in Nazareth because um, they didn't have faith. We see that John the Baptist was martyred. His head was taken off by King Herod. The people of Israel have failed to grasp Jesus' spiritual mission. And they kept trying to set up him as an earthly king because they liked the fact they got fed physically. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are expressing their stubborn unbelief and hatred more and more aggressively. So Jesus desires to get away to a quiet place and to, in particular, listen, this is very important, to prepare his disciples for what's about to happen. Because it's going to get a whole lot worse. You think it was rough with the Jewish leaders before. Jesus is about to tell them, listen guys, they're going to actually succeed. Right? Because we're going to see... Um, Pete's going to begin to preach on that next week and then me following that. He's going to warn them that the Son of Man must die and on the third day be raised. So Jesus had a very specific purpose, though, for going to this Gentile region. This, and this was the first, another important thing, this was the first and last time Jesus was ever in Gentile territory in his physical, earthly life. And the reason why he does it is because his actions are prophetic. See, Jesus never does anything willy-nilly in his life. Once he started his ministry especially, everything he did had a purpose. He did not go into Gentile territory for no reason. You remember in the Gospel of John, John gives that story of how Jesus went to Samaria. Remember and met the Samaritan woman? And he did it for a very specific purpose. The Jews would always go around Samaria and Jesus went through. There was a reason then and there's a reason now in Matthew's Gospel. And and the reason is this. Jesus is about to show 
And to be sure, it's only a foretaste. It's only a prophetic looking ahead. He's about to show that the gospel is not just for Israel. He's about to show that the gospel, that he is the savior of the entire world. He's going to show that it's a matter of faith whether or not you belong to God's kingdom, not a matter of blood. He's about to show that in this text super clearly. Excuse me. And Matthew draws this to our attention for a particular reason. Listen, this is, this is powerful when I saw it this week. He's clearly displaying, listen to this, the contrast between the Jewish religious leader's stubborn unbelief and a Gentile's woman's stubborn belief. Listen to that. I'm going to repeat that. Here you have stubborn unbelief of the people that Jesus came to save. They see his miracles. They hear his teaching. They know he's incredible. They can't even, they so much can't deny it that they got to say, well, your power's from the devil. Because they can't deny what just happened was supernatural. No human being could do that, right? That's what we call stubborn unbelief. And he's about to show something incredible. Here's a woman who's a Gentile, and she's a woman. And back then, that, that was, they were uh, discriminated against as well. And she has stubborn, just as the Pharisees had stubborn unbelief, she has stubborn belief. She just won't. She's too legit to quit. And that's what we're going to see here. She was displaying deep faith in Israel's Messiah while all along Israel had rejected her own Savior. This is what we're going to see this morning simply. Faith that passes the test will be blessed. Faith that passes the test will be blessed. And three things. We're going to see faith's request. I figure I keep rhyming. Faith's request, faith's test, and faith that is blessed. Those are the three things. I had a tough time with that third one, but I, I found one. All right, so let's take a look at the first one. Faith's request. This is a short one. Verse 21, leaving that place, Jesus, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Now, Mark's gospel account makes it clear. It says specifically Jesus wanted to get alone. He was looking for time alone. But alas, human need, as always, as we look through the gospel, searches Jesus out, doesn't it? Everywhere he goes, they find him. People find him. And to some surprise in the text, what's really interesting here is it's a Gentile woman that comes crying out for his help. And what you need to see is, think about this for a moment. I almost skipped over this in my preparation time in terms of bringing this out to you. Her daughter was in a horrible way. Think about having a little child, think about your child, being overcome and overruled by an unclean spirit. Think about that, by an evil spirit. It's bad enough when you would have adult uh, possession of someone who's playing with witchcraft or someone that's, who's overtly dealing with satanic stuff, but how horrible would it be if here you have a little one, right, who's dominated by the devil? in a physically harsh, horrible way. But what's absolutely astonishing here, listen, listen to her request. She comes to Jesus addressing him with the very title 
that the Old Testament Jewish Scriptures uh, use when they talk about the coming Messiah, the coming Savior that's going to come and deliver God's people from their sins. She says, Jesus, what? Son of David. That's a term, by the way. Son of David simply means this, Messiah. The Jews knew when they said Son of David, it meant all the promises that David would have a king that would succeed him on the throne, that he would be the anointed one. By the way, Messiah means anointed one. And so what, what, here's this Canaanite woman, not even Jewish, right? Not even an heir of the covenant. And she says, Messiah, have mercy on me. Contrast, the Jewish leaders rejected Jesus and wouldn't even dignify him by referring to him as Lord or Messiah. And is it just something I'm bringing out from the text? I don't think so. Because if you look at the original Greek, the first word in the text, which isn't brought out in the NIV here, is Matthew actually writes, and behold, a Canaanite woman came. In other words, look at this. <laughs> like, <laughs> unbelievable. And behold. So here's a Canaanite woman exercising true faith in Jesus' claims. And look at her request. It's very simple. This is important. And then we'll go to the second point already. See, yeah, I told you it was quick. Her request is this. Have mercy on me. She doesn't come with a bargaining chip. No claims of worthiness or just desserts. She doesn't even do what I did. Well, Lord, if you just help me pass this, and then there's no bargaining, right? She comes not with any kind of entitlement. She comes simply and throws herself completely on the mercy of the court of King Jesus. And that's faith's request. We see what her request is. To bring deliverance to her child. But instead of immediately granting her request, which he has done many times before, right? In the Gospels we see this. This time Jesus does something very interesting, doesn't he? He puts her faith to the test. Let's look at this. Verse, faith's test. We saw faith's request, now faith's test. Look at verse 23. Jesus did not answer a word. Another translation says, Jesus did not even say a one word. <laughs> Another surprising detail here. The silence of Jesus. Isn't that a test? And you get silence? It's the first test he gives her. It's not an easy one. So his disciples come and they urged him. Listen, this is where the disciples come in. Don't forget, they're in this picture too. And they say, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The disciples are exasperated. And they might even be embarrassed by this poor woman who keeps chasing them around, begging Jesus and begging them to do something. And so they basically come to Jesus in frustration and say, please, send the woman away. And commentators argue about, well, is she saying, just send him away in general? 
Like, get, we're, we're, we're annoyed by her, so just get her out of here? Or are they saying, grant her request already so we could be at peace? And I'll tell you why we know that they're saying, grant her request. Because Jesus' answer to them is, I've been sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. So in other words, they're asking, please, Jesus, give her a request and heal her. And his answer is what? I'm sent to the sheep of Israel, lost sheep of Israel. So it wasn't so much that they're just totally annoyed and they just wanted to send her away. They had some compassion. But isn't it true in life that sometimes God's apparent silence can be hard to bear? We cry out to God, we cry out to heaven, and no answer seems to come. We bring our petitions, we bring our prayers, and there's still silence. And for the disciples, forget about the woman, for the disciples we see here, that's those who are following Jesus, it's quite trying, isn't it? The silence. So they're basically frustrated with Jesus' silence. And perhaps there's a little side lesson for gospel ministers here as well. Because sometimes we're tempted to be frustrated with those we minister to. We tend to be impatient because God seems to be silent in the face of their distress and their trials. And instead of encouraging them to, to keep praying, to keep trusting, to not give up, to be persistent, to keep um, hammering the gates of heaven, as it were, we get frustrated. And we say, uncle, right? We want to give up. But the interesting thing in the text, and this was surprising to me, is that the woman was not put off by Jesus' silence. The disciples who knew better were put off by it and annoyed. But the woman passes test number one. She will not be put off. So she keeps asking Jesus, even when he's silent and won't answer. But when Jesus finally does speak in response to the disciples' frustration, he gives her faith another test. One commentator calls this the test of limitation. He points out that she has no rightful claim to his ministry, for he has come only to the lost sheep of Israel. Listen, it's important. Jesus' words echo what he already told the disciples in Matthew 10. When he sent them out, he said, don't go into Gentile regions, but only go to the lost house of Israel. Right? He said that earlier in chapter 10. And now he's in keeping with that, and he says, I've only been sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Now listen to this. How would you like if the, the test of silence is broken only to get this answer? Right? I mean, if the first one doesn't put you off, the next one should certainly make your heart drop, and you should be like, well, fine. What's interesting here is there are commentators. I'm going to preach a little bit here, especially for new, to new city folk. There are commentators here that claim, uh, one commentator puts it this way. I'm going to quote from him. He says, Jesus is displaying the worst kind of chauvinism. In other words, Jesus is talking to her like that because she's a woman. That's what the the one commentator came up with. How? I have no idea. Others would say Jesus was being racist. He's being prejudiced. Right? 
So the question is, is Jesus being racist? And, and I want to point something out before I give the explanation. We, as a part of the New City Network and as being a New City congregation, which I am wholeheartedly a part of, we have to be careful sometimes, don't we? Even as individuals, that we don't read racism where there isn't racism. Where we don't read sexism where there isn't sexism. Now, it's true that so often we've heard people saying it's not racism, it's not racism when it is. So we could be oversensitive. Right? But here we need to be careful because here you have the eternal son of God who certainly was not racist. And there are even commentators, supposedly Christian commentators that are saying he's being uh, racist against another ethnic group or against women. No, what Jesus is saying here is very simple. It's very biblical. Jesus was sent first and foremost to the people that God chose and made all the covenant promises to the people of Israel. Jesus doesn't demonstrate ethnic, ethnic bigotry against Gentiles, but rather he's showing that there is a proper order to salvation. There's a privilege that first Israel, then Gentiles. Think about it. What does Paul tell us later on after Jesus does rise from the dead and the gospel's going to the Gentiles? You remember what he says? The gospel is the power of God for all who believe what? First for the Jew. The Jew first. And then for the Gentile. Jesus' earthly ministry was, a, was recognizing and was a part of God's total bigger picture of salvation history. And that was the Jews who had all the promises, all the covenants, the promise of Messiah. He had to go to them first. And so, and, and as I mentioned, in Jesus' earthly ministry, he didn't go past um, this little region into Gentile territory. But he brings us up to this woman for an interesting reason, as I think we're, we're beginning to see here. He's testing her real faith. Are you going to keep trusting me? Are you going to keep coming? Do you really believe? Because he puts her off these two different ways. And then we see this third test. It says here in verse 25, The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. And he replied, here's here's the third one. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Seems, doesn't it, that Jesus is only adding insult to injury now? <laughs> this is the third rebuff to this Canaanite Gentile woman. And this is a final test that we could call, one commentator calls it the test of humility. Will she be put off by Jesus' words and view them as an insult and walk away murmuring under her breath? Will she attempt a rebuttal? Will she come to Jesus and argue against him and say, You know, you're not politically correct. How can you talk to me like that? But we see in the text, she does neither of those things. The disciples must have thought, man, finally, you know, Jesus is putting this woman in her place. Maybe she'll leave us alone. Instead, listen to this, this woman, man. She's something else. She plays off Jesus' analogy of a little dog. And I want you to understand this. The Jews referred to Gentiles in those days as Gentile dogs, unclean. And so when Jesus uses that language, it's pretty strong on the one hand. 
But on the other hand, the word for dog here is a little different. Um, it's actually the word, the Greek word for little dog, like household dog. And so she, 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 she grabs on, here's something that could be, somebody could take offense to right, right away, right? And see it as negative. And she turns it into a positive and says, yes, Lord, but don't the dogs get at least the crumbs that fall from the children's table? And that's the last thing we're going to see here. We're going to see Jesus' response to that. And that is faith that is blessed. Look at verse 28. Then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. She passes the test with flying colors. So the ending truly reveals, this is important to see in this text, it truly reveals Jesus' intentions. And it refutes the commentators who actually accuse Jesus of being too harsh, prejudiced, or outright cruel. He was testing her. He was prompting her faith on. He was stretching it. He was testing it. He was moving it forward so it would come out to full, glorious bloom. That's what our Lord was doing here. Now, in case you're falling asleep, I'm going to give you the silly illustration I thought of this week, but, but it just really hit me. I couldn't get it out of my head. How many people here, raise your hand if you've seen the movie Willy Wonka. Raise your hand so I know who I'm talking to. Great, excellent. Every single person here has seen Willy Wonka, so I'm not going to regurgitate the whole thing, and I'm not going to be word for word. But you remember at the end, Charlie finally makes it to the end, the little Charlie and his grandpa? And they're all excited because they won. And he goes, okay, uh, Mr. Wonka. He's working in his, his office. He's on his desk and his back is to him. He goes, Mr. Wonka, uh, what about the lifelong supply of chocolate that you promised Charlie? And he goes, sir, you did not win the prize. You drank the fizzy drink. Remember that? And then he starts reading. Uh, the law says right here that etc. etc. And he goes, sir, good day. And then the grandpa goes, you're a crook. You know, you, how could you do this to poor Charlie? He put his hopes in you and blah, blah, blah. And then, and then Willy Wonka just says, sir, I said good day. Remember? You remember this? And so then the, then the grandpa goes up to Charlie. He goes, we're going to, I'll tell you what we'll do, Charlie. If Slugworth wants a gobstopper, we'll give him a gobstopper. And if you remember, the gobstopper had like a secret formula, supposedly. And so, while Wonka's back is still turned, Charlie walks over and puts the gobstopper next to Willy Wonka. He's not going to betray him. And so, he says some, some corny line about, you know, so a good deed done in a weary world or something. And he turns around and he goes, you've won, Charlie. I knew you would do it. You've won. And then he says something interesting. He says, please forgive me for putting you through all this. I had to make sure that you were the right person. And he goes, oh, so then I get the chocolate. He goes, oh, no, no, you don't understand, Charlie. You don't just get the chocolate. You get the whole thing. You get the factory. And you need to see that's what Jesus is doing with this woman here. 
He's putting her faith through this test so that she'll come through with flying colors. And so that, but here's an interesting thing. She doesn't get a chocolate factory, as cool as that might be to some of us. She gets two things much more important than that. The first thing she gets is her, the healing of her poor, suffering daughter. And some of us who have rebellious kids, some of us who have kids that are dominated by the devil in other ways, we know the heart cry for our kids. Can I get an amen? She gets the restoration of her daughter. But she gets more than that. Think about this. She now knows without a shadow of a doubt, through faith, which she already knew to some degree, he is truly the son of David, the savior of the world. She has a clear, she goes home to a clear sign that Jesus is exactly who he claims to be. We need to see as we come to a close of this message. This healing was not merely, and this ordeal was not merely for her either. But it was a vital lesson for, for Jesus' disciples and for us today to remember forever. Listen, it's not human tradition or even a bloodline that lays claim to the rights of being children of God, to being right before God, justified before God. Rather, the only thing that makes us right before God is faith in Jesus. That's the only thing. The only way we could come to God, the only thing that pleases God, is faith in Him. And it doesn't matter how far away we are from the covenant. We, would be, we will be included with the covenant people of God by faith. Listen, J.C. Ryle puts it simply for us. He says, it's not grace. I'm sorry, it's grace, not race, that makes people believers. Isn't that good? I'm going to repeat it since I messed it up. It's grace, not race, that makes people believers. See, during his earthly ministry, Jesus never had a Gentile mission, strictly speaking. But right here, he's given all of us a foretaste of what's to come. Very soon, soon and very soon, it's going to be opened up to people of all tribes, tongues, races, and nations. And Matthew thinks that this lesson is so important that out of all the miracles Jesus does, Matthew records this one for future generations. Listen. I'm going to use the analogy Jesus himself gives in this text. Jesus has prepared a table for the children. But the children have refused it. Right? And yet those who are unclean, those who are outside, those who are not acceptable in many people's eyes, they find a place at the table of Messiah Jesus through persistent faith that refuses to give up. It's a message for the ages, and there's a warning in it as well. Listen, those of us inside the church, the question, it begs the question, will we be found believing, feasting on the children's bread that Messiah Jesus has provided for us when he comes back to bring his faithful home? Or will we be among those who starve to death with a bounteous table right in front of them all these years? 
In other words, how many people come to church, they hear about miracles, they experience things to such degree, and yet they have not partaken of the feast. When a new convert comes into the church for the first time and jumps right in with both feet, he, comes to, he or she comes to the Bible study and is soaking up the word, right? And it's filled with questions. And once all oh, they're hungry for the word. They come to prayer meeting. And this is what's crazy about it. They're an outsider. Some of us, we got saved at a you know, total of pagan, uh, hedonistic lifestyles. We come to the church. And then you come into prayer meeting and you pray like you expect God to do something. Do you ever notice that about a new believer? They're praying like, okay. We just prayed. It's just a matter of when's it going to happen, right? And what does that do for us who have been in the church so long and for take it for granted? It rebukes us, doesn't it? Because we pray, well, I've been praying a long time for whatever request or for this or for that, and God hasn't done anything, so I'm just going to stop praying. This Canaanite woman rebukes that, doesn't she? Will we be like her and no matter how long we've been connected to the church, will we truly understand we deserve nothing, we have no rights in and of ourselves, we're completely unworthy, and simply throw ourselves upon the mercy and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And will we not give up even when our faith is tested and tried, as this woman's was? Jesus commended only two people's faith in the Gospel of Matthew publicly, and they both were Gentiles. One was the Roman centurion, and the other was this Canaanite woman. May God in his mercy, number one, find us with that faith. And secondly, may we receive all who have a likened faith to us, no matter what ethnic, sociological, cultural background let's pray father we just heard your word and we thank you for it we thank you for the feast of faith that we have in you through jesus and his word thank you for this lesson jesus forgive us for giving up We do pray that through your power and in your mercy and in your kindness that you would continue to build our faith. Father, strengthen it. And we ask, O Lord, that you would, in your mercy, add to our number those who are being saved and that you would send us out and open our mouths that both through how we live and what we say, others would come to put their faith in you, Jesus the son of David, David's Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name, your name. Amen. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. New City's Sunday sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Santa Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New Cities Sunday Sermon.